Good evening and welcome to the special commencement of 2021. We are deeply grateful for the presence of every single one of you here to acknowledge the Lord for his greatness and his goodness to the graduates and through them to us. We also in a special way wish to welcome those who could not come physically but are joining us digitally And we are bound together uh, in gratitude towards God who has given us so many benefits. Let us at this time lift our hearts in song and let us sing together Psalter number 134. And we will sing all the stanzas. Psalter number 134, all the stanzas. And if you're able, please stand. scripture reading for this evening is not as announced. It is 1 Corinthians 3, starting at the fifth verse. 1 Corinthians 3, starting at verse 5. 
Please listen to God's eternal, unchanging, and pure word. Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Thus far the reading of God's faithful and precious word. Let us seek his face together in prayer and ask him to bless our gathering. Gracious, eternal, glorious God of heaven and of earth, humble our hearts before thee this evening and grant us the true attitude of prayer that we would beseech thee, Lord, to come and be in our midst as thou hast promised. Where two or three are gathered in thy name, thou wouldst be there. Lord, we owe thee everything not just the breath that we breathe, but the thoughts that we are able to think. And everything has come from thy hand so as to make this evening possible. Every day these now graduates were able to study, and everything leading up to their time here has been so directed and governed by thee. Thy sovereignty over all things is so very great. O oh, grant us deep awe before Thee as the living, the glorious, the eternal God, Lord, orchestrating everything to the glory of Thy name. And Lord, we are deeply humbled at the opportunity to see these men and women come to the end of their studies and as families and friends and, and loved ones. We gather around them and acknowledge thee for thy greatness and thy goodness. And we raise an Ebenezer stone and we say, but by thy grace 
we have come this far. And Lord, we pray thee that everything we think and say and do would, would give glory unto thee, that it would be truly in our hearts, not unto us, not unto us, but unto thy name be the glory. We ask thee too, Lord, to anoint thy servant who will preach to us soon with thy Holy Spirit. Grant that thy word would come not in word only, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, and that we would hear the voice of the Son of God, and that hearing him we would stand in awe, and that we would bow our hearts before thee and acknowledge our deep unworthiness of any blessings, any mercies, and yet what a privilege to hear the very voice of the Lord through his word. Lord, we pray thee that we would all know ourselves addressed from the least to the greatest, and that thou wouldst give exactly what we need, uh, strengthening to those who feel weak, uh, that thou wouldst comfort those who are disconsolate, that thou wouldst humble those who are proud, that thou wouldst convert the unconverted, and that we would leave this place with thy grace, Lord Jesus Christ, as absolutely necessary for every step of the way. Lord, we give thee thanks for all the families that are gathering here, for all the love, all the support, all the prayers, maybe many tears that have been shed over these years. And yet, Lord, may we end in thee, and may we say in our hearts, great is thy faithfulness. And Lord, do go with each one, we pray. We pray thee that eternity would reveal the immense work that thou hast done through each of these graduates, going to at least 13 different countries and nations all over this globe. What a day eternity will be. Bind it, Lord, upon our hearts. Grant us not to enter it unprepared, but grant us to labor while it is yet day, knowing that the night comes when no man can work, Lord, be so in our midst, be with every speaker, be with every single person here. We ask all this in the pardon of every sin, out of free and sovereign grace, in Jesus' name alone, amen. At this time, Dr. Beakey will come forward and introduce our speaker. Well, it's, it's my honor and privilege to uh, introduce a very good friend, Reverend Paul Washer, well known to many of you. I know many of you have benefited from his preaching. You can read his, uh, his little bio on the back. He became a believer while studying at the University of Texas, moved to Peru, and began a ministry there called uh, Heart Cry, and that has now gone basically around the world, and he continues to work with a number of other people for this uh, wonderful missionary society. We're privileged also to have his son Evan with us tonight in our midst. And uh, Paul is uh, a man who really has an ability, a grace of God to draw people around him, particularly young men that he's ministered to in small groups all around the world 
men training for the ministry, and God has used him. I personally can vouch for that in countries I've gone to for, for hundreds, even thousands of conversions around the world. And that's, he would say, by the sheer grace of God, and of course that's true. But God has gifted him uh, to reach the conscience of men. And that's a, that's a great blessing in our day in which so often ministers don't even approach the conscience of men. So we've been blessed to uh, get to know Paul, blessed also over the years to um, publish some of his books, which we have just brought out on the table. Uh, we did a series of three. He gave me, at one point, 900 pages worth of sermons and wanted them to go in a book. And I said, Paul, we need to put these in three books and divide them in subjects. And that's what we did. And they're wonderful, wonderful sermons. The Gospel Call and True Conversion, The Gospel's Power and Message, and The Gospel's Assurance and Warnings. And more recently, we've done his, uh, well, his very famous sermon, Narrow Gate, Narrow Way, was used for so many young people around the world. We put that into print, as well as his uh, famous address, Ten Indictments Against the Modern Church. And then most recently, he did for us a little evangelistic booklet that uh, goes out to the churches by the hundreds, and it's being handed out everywhere, just called The Gospel of Jesus Christ. You'll find all these books, by the way, at 50% off on the table out there. We can't miss a good opportunity like this. And, um, but uh, $30 if you want the whole pack, and uh, you will be edified, you will be blessed. Paul, come and bring us the word of God, please. It is a great privilege for me to be here with you, and it is very humbling. Um, I told a young man out there in the foyer that I would have given anything to have been a young man called into the ministry to be introduced to Christian theology in a place like this. What a privilege. But know that with every great privilege comes a great stewardship. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But before I do, I am now getting close to being Paul the Aged. I'll be 60 uh, in a few days. I write to myself and I write down things that other men have written when I feel that it is really from the Lord. And, and I would like to just share with you before I start from things that that I have written to myself, whether in the night watch or... Well, brethren, in your stewardship, the greatest of all stewardship is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no greater privilege but to know Him and to make Him known. You will never know Him as He is. Even if you, well, even when you pass an eternity of eternities, there will still be far more glory to be revealed. When you have traversed everything you think you can traverse, you've not even reached the foothills of the Everest 
that is Jesus Christ. And that is your task, to make Jesus known to God's people. So as an older man, I just want to read to you something that I have written to myself. No matter how knowledgeable or eloquent the preacher, or how diligent and precise the writer, they are no match for the smallest part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who can count the grains of sand in the desert or the multitude of stars in the heavens? And yet both tasks would be far easier than describing the excellencies and beauty of Christ and his gospel. My friend John Newton wrote us, It is impossible that either men or angels can fully sound the depth of this one sentence that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. William Bates wrote, Now the doctrine of the gospel excels the most noble sciences as well as contemplative as practical. It affects the soul with the highest admiration. The strongest spirits cannot comprehend its just greatness. The understanding sinks under the weight of glory. The apostle who had seen the light of heaven and who had such knowledge as never any man before yet upon considering one part of the divine wisdom, breaks forth in astonishment. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His decrees and His ways past finding out. It is fit when we have spent the strength of our minds in the consideration of this excelling object and are at the end of our subtleties to supply the defects of our understanding with admiration as the psalmist expresses himself, Lord, how wonderful are are thy thoughts, usward. I've written, the writer and the preacher are prone to fail. I have found some of the greatest preachers and their greatest messages have always started with an apology. Spurgeon was often fond of saying, though I had the mind and tongue of a seraph, I would fail in this matter of preaching the gospel. The writer and the preacher are prone to fail. They're even destined to fail because the subject of the discourse is beyond the minds and words of men and angels. Even when the preacher has spent his strength in study, poured out his soul in prayer, and exhausted his life, he must step down from the pulpit with a bowed head knowing that the half The tenth part has not been told. My dearest friend, John Flavel, wrote, O fair sun and fair moon and fair stars and fair flowers and fair roses and fair lilies and fair creatures, but O ten thousand thousand times fairer, Lord Jesus, alas, I wronged him in making the comparison this way. O black sun and moon, but O fair Lord Jesus. O black flowers and black lilies, black roses, but O fair, fair, even fairer Lord Jesus. O all fair things, black, deformed, and without beauty, when ye are set beside the fairest Lord Jesus. O black heaven, but O fair Christ. O dark angels, but O surpassing fair Lord Jesus. One of my problems in preaching is always I want to say too much. 
But let me say this. Listen to me, young men. A church, because I wrote this to myself, a church that is fed only upon principles and commands will languish from malnutrition. Its heart will wither, its hope will fade, and its vitality will be drained. But a church fed upon Christ and His gospel will go from strength to strength and glory to glory. For the people who know their God will display strength. The believer may make the study of Christ and His gospel a life discipline. You have your master's and your PhD. But, but you're not prepared. Seminaries cannot prepare you. They can only give you the necessary tools so that you can spend the rest of your life in preparation. The believer must make, the minister must make the study of Christ and His gospel a life discipline and the minister must consider it to be his greatest stewardship. He must spend long hours each day mining the gems Mining the gems of God in Christ that He might present them to God's people with every opportunity. You are going to be ministering to carpenters and mechanics and housewives who would long to be able to have part of their day given to the study of Scripture. How dare you? If you will not study for yourself, study for them. Study for the bride of Christ. Every, every day going into your studies with one purpose, to mine gems, to mine gold, to bring them to Christ's bride so that she be encouraged. That is your task above all other tasks. The goal of all the minister's endeavors must be that God's people might turn their interests and affections to God, that they might refuse the fodder of the world because they've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. That their mind might be elevated, their affections refined, their character transformed, and their souls completely satisfied in Christ and His gospel. That's your task. What a glorious task. Although the most disciplined among us will never reach the level of devotion that the gospel deserves, we must attempt to give it our all, even if it breaks our mind and body Although the most insignificant of us will end his or even though the most insightful of us will end his or her days far short of knowing all that is to be known about Christ and his gospel, it is still the most worthy endeavor to which we could ever inspire. Although the goal we have set for ourselves will not be attained even in eternity, the transformation of our soul will be immeasurable. Immeasurable. There is no affection in me that has not been created by seeing the virtue of Christ. It's His beauty that draws out our affections. It's His beauty that draws out the affections of God's people. So if you're going to study, study Christ. Again, Flavel, oh, then study Christ, study to know him more extensively. There are many excellent things in Christ that the most eagle-eyed believer hath not yet seen. Ah, tis pity that anything of Christ should be hid from his people. Study to know Christ more intensively. 
to get the experimental taste and lively power of his knowledge upon your hearts and affections. This is knowledge that carries all sweetness and comfort in it. Spurgeon, study Christ. I'm saying this to you because Spurgeon said it to me. Study Christ. The most excellent of all sciences is the knowledge of a crucified Savior. He is most learned in the university of heaven who knows most of Christ. He who hath known most of Him still says that His love surpasses knowledge. Behold Him then with wonder and behold Him with thankfulness. Everything There isn't much, but whatever piety is in me, whatever strength to go on in spite of ailments and illnesses, it is the beauty of Christ that draws out our affections and drives us to obedience. This is the job of the minister. Don't trifle in small things. Give yourself to the study of Christ. Let's go to our text. In 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5. Who then is Paul? Who then is Apollos but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man, ministers, servants, stewards, slaves. What a privilege. What a privilege to be saved. Just to be saved. Just to be saved. What a privilege it would be to be spared hell and left in some place alone and without feeling. Because we deserve hell. What a privilege it would be to be allowed to stand at the window or door of heaven and peer through the crack. A privilege unspeakable. Privilege unspeakable. And yet we have been made sons and daughters of the living God. And then, and then, some of us, the least of us, the foremost of sinners, the runts of the litter, have been called to be his ministers. His ministers. How can it be? How can it be that dirt could be breathed upon and be turned into An instrument of Christ. But that's what he says. Who then is Paul? Who then is Apollos? But ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. You and I are not to be inventors, we're not to be sophisticated. God isn't asking us for a design, we are stewards. And what do stewards do? They obey. What do they obey? Not some popular idea. 
Not some revelation from some so-called prophet. What do they do? They obey what is written. That which has been decreed by God and revealed through His holy word. That's all we do. We're like a carriage horse with blinders on both sides. We care not for even most of the voices that ring today in evangelicalism. We care not. We have blinders on. We care only about our Master's Word. And we are stewards of that Word. Stewards to our generation. Stewards to the next generation. We are stewards. He goes on and he says this. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. As so many preachers have told young men, I dare you now, go out, leave this building, go to the cemetery, cry out to the winds, tell the dead to rise. Don't come home until they come out of the ground. You'll be there till you die. You can't convert a soul. You can't sanctify a soul. You, you can't do anything. God gives the increase. What do we do? We surrender to Him. We surrender to Him. We order our private lives according to His word. We order our devotional lives according to our word. We put ourselves in a place before Him where He can deal with us. And then through us, His power can be manifest. But when it is manifest, know that it is His power. If you are ever preaching and the Spirit of God comes upon you and you feel like you could rip apart a lion with your bare hands, know that it was His power and not your own. If men are converted, know that it is God and God alone. You should always come down from the pulpit like Peter in that boat that day. He looked and he saw the miracle and he said, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. What he's basically saying here is, Lord, this is not right. You shouldn't allow someone like me to participate in something like this. That's the way you should come down from the pulpit, young preacher. Everything is a privilege. Everything is a privilege. A privilege that if it had not been for the power of the blood of Christ on Calvary would be wrong. It would be unjust. But because of the cross, you have now experienced grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. But it is always God who gives the increase. Your problem is not that you're too weak or that you don't have a good mind or you don't have enough education. I have not a good mind. I am weak and I have no education. Weakness is not your problem. Your problem is that you don't see your weakness. You must see it. And young men and women, listen to me. This is going to happen to you. There's a song I used to sing to my son when he was little. And it was this. My son, I am weak and I'm trembling. For the Lord I am always remembering. Oh, what a strong shepherd holds you in his arms. He will break you 
and make you his own. Every trial you're going to confront, every difficulty in ministry, every impossibility is simply God in his grace screaming out to you. You cannot. But I can. To utterly convince you of your utter inability. That it is God and God alone who can give increase to your ministry, to your sanctification, to your life. He goes on and he says this. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth increase. Paul is not decrying that his ministry has no importance. And I do not want you to think for a second that what you do doesn't matter. As Christians, everything in your life is sacred. There is no longer any secular as ministers, every moment, everything you do matters. Yet at the same time, in proportion to the activity of God and the requirement of God in the ministry, we are very small. But He is great. Now I want to go on because I want to get to a very important part. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. This is a troubling statement for me, and I see that down through the ages it's a troubling statement for theologians. Why? Here we come to a point where you and I must hold great truths in attention and be very, very afraid to try to bring them to a point where we can explain them perfectly. If you are in Christ, you are accepted in the beloved. You don't have to move an inch to the left or an inch to the right to be more loved. You are perfectly and completely loved. You are perfectly and completely accepted in Christ. And yet, minister, know this. We shall stand before Christ and we shall be judged. In the matter of our faithfulness in the ministry, we will have to deal with a confrontation. I am assured that it will be a loving confrontation. I am assured that I am accepted not because of what I've done, but because of what Christ has done for me. And yet I am a steward and as a steward, I will stand before Christ and I will be judged. And you need to walk in that. That is a solemn and great reality that is facing every one of us. And not just with regard to public ministry. Not even primarily with regard to public ministry. But primarily with inside. The person you are in secret. The private you. The true inside. The sanctification. The personal walk with Christ. You will stand before him one day and you will give an account. You will give an account. In one sense, being in this seminary is a blessing to you. In another sense, it could be a judgment. Do you realize that? To whom much is given, much is required. To whom much is given, much is required. And young men, when you leave this door, young men, young women, when you leave these doors, you haven't arrived You've just begun. Whether you have your master's or your PhD or 10 PhDs, it doesn't matter. You have always just begun. You must press on to know the Lord. Press on to know the Lord. You must take every gift He's given you 
and use it and refine it. Because one day you will be held accountable for every good and perfect gift given. He says, verse 9, and this is the part that I wanted to get to. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. Now, this text, for ye are laborers together with God. The general interpretation in evangelicalism is that it's thought that Paul is saying, God and us are laboring together. Like we're a team, like Batman and Robin, and we're together and we're doing this God and me, God and us. That's, I don't believe that's what he's saying. It doesn't have to go that way, and I don't think it does. The idea here is this. We are laborers together of God. You and I work together, laboring together, and we are laborers of God. That's a big difference. It's not me and God got our own thing going, and I said it wrong on purpose. It's not that way. You and I are laborers, not equal with God, but under God. Under God. Now, I want you to look. He says, ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. And we could add here if we wanted to draw from Ephesians. Ye are God's bride. Now, I want you to think about this. And do you know what I want? I want something for you that I pray for myself almost every day when we get together in our church. We pray for this. It's one of the number one themes of prayer. Lord, increase our fear of Thee. I want to increase your fear of Him. And you that have come to watch this, if you are typical evangelical, your greatest need is for your fear of God to be increased and to grow. Because I'm afraid that we are like children who play marbles with the diamonds of God. That we are like foolish Uzzah who supposed that his hands were cleaner than the ground and reached out and touched the ark and died. Or like the men who opened the ark to peer within. There is very little fear of God in the land and there is little fear of God among evangelicals because there is little knowledge of God among evangelicals. I want you to think about something. He says ye are God's husbandry or God's field. The church is God's field. It's not your field. Never will be your field. You're not a co-owner of the field. You're a co-laborer with me. But you're not a co-owner with God. It's His field. How dare you sow any seed in that field that isn't the seed decreed by God. And if you do sow strange seed in His field, you are doing the work of your father, the devil. Who sowed these tares? That was the work of the enemy. You have one job! And that is to sow the seed that God has given you. And that is this book. One job. 
Sow the seed. Plow the field. Cultivate, cultivate, nurture even the tiniest sprout as though that sprout were Christ Himself. I hear so many men today boasting about how much they love the church. When I study their lives, you know what I discovered? They don't love the church. They love their ministry in the church. There's a big difference. You love the church as much as you love the most troublesome, difficult, weak believer in your congregation. That's how much you love the church. And if you're going to be true men of God, you will love them. The least of them. The wildest of them. The most imbalanced of them. You will treat them as Christ. Because they're His field. Planted by Him. You have to nurture them and care for them and die for them and bleed for them and anything else that is required to bring them home. To bring them to maturity. It's God's field. It's God's building. How dare you use any material other than the material prescribed by God that is the Word of God. Now, young men, listen to me. We have had 15 years of so-called reformation and reformation. And what happened? One fad passed by and the reformation came to an end as all the young men ran to the next fad. I hear young guys saying, I'm reformed, I'm reformed, I'm reformed. And I'm going, no, you're not. Reformation is not Just simply about one doctrine of soteriology. Reformation is about sola scriptura. It is about taking the scriptures and seeking to submit every aspect of your life to what is written. That is reformation. And doctrines, fine doctrines of soteriology come forth from that foundation. Do you see that? You've got to teach People, you got to build the church based upon what is written. Now, I want to add something here because we can from Ephesians. Not only is the church that you're going to minister in, not only is it God's field, not only is it God's building, it's God's bride. There were places in Peru during the war where They were safe zones, so my wife would travel with me. She's tough. She can do the jungle. She'd travel with me, travel up in the mountains. But there were certain areas where I would never go with my wife. It was a red zone. Corrupt military, corrupt police, terrorist, war, everything else. If they pull me off the bus... And they scream at me and throw me against the bus and shake me around and everything else. It's like, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, no problem. One of those men lay a hand, a finger, on my bride. No. No. That's not going to happen. And if I, being evil, can love my wife to such a degree that I would take on those men... What do you think about the zeal of Christ for his bride? Young men, women, you're entering into the ministry. It is a fearful thing and I want to increase your fear. I want you to understand this is the bride of Christ. Now we've talked about building. We've talked about bride. I want you to I want you to look at both things. First of all, just for a minute, hold your place. We're going to run over. I want you to run over to the book of Hebrews just for a second. 
When we look in the book of Hebrews, look what it says in verse 5, chapter 8. Who served unto the example and shadow of heavenly things as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern shown thee, shown to thee in the mount. Now, I want you to look at something. We're talking about tabernacle here. We're talking about a tabernacle. Splendid, extremely important in the economy of God, but a shadow or type of something far greater, a far greater reality, the church. And look what he tells Moses. He doesn't say, Moses, I need for you to draw up some designs on the tabernacle. That's not what he said. Moses, I need you to figure out what is the best way to do this in light of current cultural trends. That's not what he says. What does he say? He says, Moses, you be careful to do what? Admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. See, saith he that thou maketh all things according to the pattern shown thee in the mount. It's God's building the church you're going to. And you better make sure that everything you do in that church is according to the pattern that God showed you in the scriptures. You do not go above the scriptures. You do not go below the scriptures. You do not add. You do not take away. And no one needs you inventing anything. You're a steward. And as a steward, you submit to what is written. Now, let's look at it from another perspective. Let's say there's a great king. A terrible and mighty king. Just. And he's going to go on a long journey. He loves his bride more than all his kingdom. And he calls you forth as a steward. And he says, Stuart, I'm going on a long journey. Now, here's what I want you to do. I have laid out, I have decreed in holy writ what you are to do with my bride. Make sure you do not trespass these commands. Do not falter in doing them. Do not go beyond them. Do not take away from them. Do not add to them. You do exactly what I tell you. And so he goes away. After a while, you begin to notice something. The kingdom, the people in the kingdom are no longer seemingly that faithful to the king. And you've pretty much figured out the problem. It's because the bride, well, she's just not relevant anymore in the way she's dressed. Elegant, sure, but plain. Pure, absolutely, but not very attractive, at least to the men of the kingdom. So here's what you decide to do. As a steward. You take off that white gown. And you dress her like a tramp. You paint her face. And then you march her in front of carnal men. Thinking that by doing so. You're going to draw those men back into the kingdom. What will that king do with you? Young men and women. When he returns. Do not be afraid of the unconverted. Be afraid for ministers who have dealt wrongly with the bride of Christ. Brothers, brothers, sisters, listen to me. Your life is knowing the word of God and applying it to the bride. It is knowing Christ 
and teaching the bride Christ. But you have been given a stewardship. No matter what type of ministry you're going to overtake, you've been given a stewardship. Now, I want to look at one other thing before we go back to our passage. Go to 1 Timothy for a second, just just for a moment. Look in chapter 3. Verse 14, 1 Timothy, these things I write unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God and the pillar and ground of the truth. Whenever you hear living God, usually in the Old Testament, God's on the warpath. It's a context that is Frightening. God has declared war. God is, a, is raising himself up in judgment. It is a title that should instill fear in us. He is the living God. Who does the church belong to? The living God. It is the house of God. The church of God. Don't ever come into my house. And start telling my wife and children what to do. It will not go well with you. Don't you ever do that. This is my house. Well this is God's house. God's house. God's bride. The very thing for which the blood of Christ was shed. He loved her before the foundation of the world. He knows exactly how he wants her to dress. He knows exactly how he wants her to talk and walk. And pity be the man that would lead that bride of his to dress or walk and talk in any other way. But now here's the point. How do, knowing that we will be judged... Knowing it, knowing that we will stand before Christ one day, how can we have peace? I mean, as mortal, fallible men and women, how can we have peace? How can we have assurance? How can we sleep at night knowing that such a great stewardship has been given to us with the gospel and the bride of Christ? It's very simple. It's found right here in verse 14. These things I write unto thee, hoping to come to thee. Shortly, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the household of God. You want to know how to behave yourself in the household of God? It's by what is written. He told Timothy, I write these things to you so that one might know how to conduct himself in God's house. The only way that you can be sure for yourself on that great day when you stand before him and are judged as a steward is if you have subjected yourself to the word. You have studied the word. You have made it your food. You have made it your map. And you have submitted to it and you have done the necessary things according to what is written. Young men, there's so much I would like to say to you, and I haven't even touched upon 1 Corinthians, but my time is short and I've got to run you to one other place. You've got to see this. I want to show you something. It is the actual, it is the most dangerous moment in the history of the church, and it's found in the book of Acts. 
It was when the church was in the absolute greatest danger she has ever been in and ever will be in. Go to Acts chapter 6. What's going on there? Is Nero here? No. Is there a Caesar? No. Has the Sanhedrin come after the church? No, something far worse. What? Something good. Something excellent has come that has a way of literally turning the church upside down and bringing its ruin. What has happened? There are widows. They need to be fed. And if you read the Old Testament correctly and the book of James, you understand that to not take this need seriously is to do what? Is to bring yourself under the discipline of God. You must take it seriously. So, Brother Paul, where is the danger? Verse 2, And then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not... It is not reason that we should leave the word and serve tables. Verse four, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer in the ministry of the word. This was the greatest moment, the greatest moment of danger, in my opinion, with regard to the entire history of the church. Because these ministers were in danger of being drawn away from the one and only thing they can do to do something that was actually necessary, beautiful, wonderful, but not what they were called to do. How many men do I come into contact with almost on a daily basis? Their demon is busyness. Busyness in all sorts of good things. How many men over the years have I heard say so many times, you know, I just don't have much time to study. I just don't have much time to pray. That's what you're called to do. That's the very thing you're called to do. And this is going to be where the devil gets you. Where he ruins you. Where he makes you ineffective. Yes, we need to care for widows and orphans. And yes, we should do that. But never, never, never at the expense of what? The ministry of the word and the ministry of prayer. Never at the expense of that. This is where you will go off. If you go off, this is where it will begin. Busy. Busy little boy. Busy little girl. But not men and women of God. How few voices. How few voices are there today that actually speak Biblically and with God's authority. How few? I can tell you how many there are. As, as many as spend much time alone with God. And the rest, no. When I was first called into ministry, I went into the pastor's office and I was very intimidated. He was a very big man. Very powerful in preaching. And I said, Pastor... God has called me to preach. He didn't even look at me. 
He was looking at a book. He just kept looking at it. And I'll never forget his words. He goes, boy, can you be alone? I thought he meant that if I became a preacher and I preached the truth that everyone would hate me and I'd be alone. That did happen, but that's not what he meant. He went on and he said, while all your other friends are running around in bachelor packs talking theology and sitting together in coffee shops and doing all the other stuff, can you be alone with God in His Word and prayer? Can you pass the night watch with Him? Can you study and study and study and pray and pray and pray? Can you minister unto God? Can you be God's man? Not a mover, not a shaker, not eloquent. None of that is your goal. Your goal is to honor God and to see people transformed. And that can only happen by the power of God. And when God speaks through a man, and that happens because you have spent hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and days and days and nights with Him. You belong to Him. Your whole life is defined by Him. Your life, in a sense, is a genitive relationship with God. You belong to God. You are of God. You belong to Him. You are of God. Your whole life is described by Him. You live in the context of Him. You are a man of God. The last thing I want to say is, I have read the Puritans for many, many, many Many years. And I loved them. I search volumes and volumes to find things written by the Puritans. But let me tell you something. You take two men that have the same really good theology. You stand them side by side and let both of them talk. And one of them got his theology by spending his time in the Word of God and the other got his theology by reading good books and you'll be able to tell the difference. Now don't go to extremes here. If it were not for good books, I wouldn't be able to understand most of Scripture, I think, sometimes. I have learned so much from history and from its writers. But nothing replaces this. Nothing replaces this. Nothing replaces this. Nothing! You may quote Calvin all day long, but if you don't read this book, you're not of Calvin because Calvin read this book. You may quote Flavel and Boston, Winslow, all day long, but if that's all you have, you're not one of their sons because they lived in this book. It was said of Bunyan, if you cut him... He would bleed the Scriptures. I want you to study. I I spend a great deal of time every day amassing Puritan quotes and different things because I love them so much. So don't get me wrong. Everything Dr. Beacon and the men here have done, I totally and completely agree with it. But I think they would agree with me. Never neglect this book. It is this book. And the expounding of this book that brings glory to God and transforms the lives of men and women. Oh, young brothers and sisters in Christ, give yourself to this book. 
And never forget, it's not just the ministry of the Word. It's the ministry of prayer. There are two things my flesh hate. One of them is the study of Scripture. And the other is prayer. And my flesh, my flesh hates prayer more than it does the study of Scripture. Because in the study of Scripture, my flesh can sometimes boast of knowledge. But in prayer, my flesh has nothing to boast of. Nothing. You will not know this book, young men, young women. You will not know this book. I do not care how smart you are or how much you've studied or how well you know the languages. You will not know this book apart from communing with its author. You will not. A parrot can repeat, but it has not been transformed by what it says. The Word of God and prayer. I beg you, the Word of God and prayer. Thanks, Paul, for the centrality of that message that the Word is all. As you know, this evening, uh, we gather here tonight to acknowledge God's faithfulness to His church in calling and equipping people for service in His kingdom. And we pray that tonight's graduates especially may be, as we have just read in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9, laborers together of God in whatsoever capacity He may call them and wherever He may place them. I'd also like to address the graduates just from uh, a part of Paul's letter to uh, Timothy as well. And um, I quote him, Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel, according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his purpose and grace, which was given us in Jesus Christ before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard in faith and love which is in Jesus Christ. That good thing which was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Now, on behalf of the Board of Trustees of Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary, it is my privilege to confer degrees upon the graduates. Please note that some of these degrees are presented in absentia, uh, since some of the graduates could not be present this evening because of COVID-related travel restrictions or some other reasons. The graduates, I ask that you would come forward when I call your name, that I may present your diploma. And after you receive your diploma, I ask that you stay here with me until all the degrees have been conferred. And so we begin. 
Waji Abdul Masih, Master of Theology, given in absentia. Mark William Fame Abdo, Master of Theology, given in absentia. Jula Bagoli, Master of Theology, given in absentia. Kenneth Frank Benjamins, Master of Theology, given in absentia. Benjamin Lee Besset, Master of Divinity. Daniel William Barris, Master of Theology, given in absentia. James Robert Crampton, Master of Divinity. Henning Johannes DeFell, Master of Theology, given in absentia. J.C. Cole Davison, Master of Divinity. Nathan Philip Eshelman, Master of Theology, given in absentia. Benjamin Edwards Franks, Master of Divinity. Matthew Joel Hendricks, Master of Divinity. Giselle Huang, Master of Arts. Jonathan Igwe Nawoji, Master of Arts. Emmanuel Kusareka Karami, Master of Theology, given in absentia. Aaron Glenn Korvemacher, Master of Divinity, given in absentia. Pablo Santiago Landazuri, Master of Theology, given in absentia. Benny Evan Lee, Master of Arts. Fabiano Kemboim du Predalima, Master of Theology. Chemwemwe Matengo, Master of Arts in Absentia. Lincoln Dana Spies. Master of Theology.
It's my pleasure then to present to you the Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary graduating class of 2021. I'm glad to say that's not all, though. For the first time, we graduate two uh, PhDs from our seminary, so it's a red-letter night for all of us, and uh, we'd like to call them for it as well. So first, uh, we would like to uh, confer the degree of Doctor of Philosophy on Joe DeBlue. I would just mention here that her dissertation was entitled uh, The Messianic Marginality of Mission, an interdisciplinary interpretation of Matthew's little ones. We also confer the degree of Doctor of Philosophy upon Alan Michael Stanton, who is uh, not present, so this is in absentia. His uh, dissertation was entitled Samuel Miller, the year 1769 to 1850, Reformed Orthodoxy, Jonathan Edwards, and Old Princeton. Graduates, we would trust that this evening you can praise God for all he has done, for his help and his provision for you in the past and your studies. And uh, we pray that you may be able to say in your hearts this prayer song of the graduate of Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles, who saith, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you, who saith, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Therefore, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid. Neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord.
Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Now Reverend Beeky will give a, a personal charge to each graduate. Well, congratulations, graduates. It's a, a wonderful night, and you've already heard a lot. In fact, just this week, I was with a, a young man who was uh, contemplating uh, studying for the ministry, and I was trying to explain to him the magnitude of the work. Well, you heard it tonight. You'll never be sufficient for ministry either in ordained ministry or other kinds of ministry, uh, you need God's help always. And so I want to give you this charge. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, or I could add teach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering, in doctrine. I want to give you 10 Christ's marinated guidelines, you can call them commandments, for any kind of ministry in the kingdom of God, but especially for a teaching, preaching ministry. Number one, give priority to your personal communion with God. You heard that already tonight. Put your own soul first. Whenever, whenever Paul speaks about guarding our own hearts and feeding the flock, he always puts self first, doesn't he? Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to the flock. Not because he wants you to be selfish, but because he knows that your ministry is good for nothing if you don't nurture communion with God in your own soul. Commandment number two. Give priority to prayer and to holiness. Undertake no sermon, no pastoral work, no task of the ministry without seeking God's face first in Jesus Christ. I was a minister for three days when the first local minister came to see me and I asked his advice. He was 70 years old. I was 25. I said, what can you tell me from a lifetime of ministry? He said only one thing. He said, no matter how much you've done something, never, never, never do anything on behalf of the Lord's name without first getting on your knees and crying out to God for help. Bunyan put it so well, didn't he? You can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you can't do more than pray until you've prayed. Personal holiness, vis-a-vis prayer, is not only a necessary pursuit but one that is usually inseparable from any measurable divine success in sacred ministry. Go to church history. Look at the men who have been greatly blessed with many converts. They were men of prayer. Three, be biblical all your life. You heard that tonight. Be like Bunyan, of whom Spurgeon said, if you pricked any vein, the blood that would flow out 
would be be blind. Read the word, study the word, believe the word, pray over the word, love the word, live the word, memorize the word, meditate on the word, sing the word, practice the word. Commandment four. Remember that preaching is the primary task of the ministry. That to do it rightly, you need the Holy Spirit two times for every sermon. Once in the study, and then again on the pulpit. And maintain, maintain in your own mind, in your own soul, this radical sense of dependency on the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Commandment number five. Be profoundly thankful and humbled for the honor of being an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Edward Payson, 19th century divine, said that there were times in his study he was so overwhelmed with the thought of being Christ's mouthpiece that he would just clap his hands with joy and overwhelming conviction that he was counted worthy to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Remain all convinced all your life that you have a crucial vocation not only, but that you have one that is more important than any other occupation in the world. My dad used to say to me as a teenager, to be a minister of the gospel is more important than living in the White House because you're a physician of never dying souls. Commandment number six. Preach and teach Jesus Christ to the full. Be determined to know no man after the flesh, including yourself, and to glory in nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified and him exalted and him coming again. Be a self-forgetter and a Christ preacher. You can never preach him enough. Sinclair Ferguson used to say to us at Westminster, Pour the best energies into your life, into preaching Jesus Christ. And resolve like Thomas Boston, who said, wherever I go, and he wrote it out in his diary, wherever I go, wherever I go, I will always leave the savor of Christ behind me. Commandment number seven, I charge you to love Everything is ineffectual without love. Love the triune God. Love your wife, your children. Love people. Love your work. Maintain this radical love that you care profoundly for your work, not only, but for the people who receive your work. Commandment number eight. Ask God to give you a few, not many, very close pastoral friends with whom you can be totally accountable and speak from soul to soul. Love your brethren in the ministry. Never compete with them. Love them and confide in those who are counted worthy by you over time as a confidant in Christ. Commandment number nine, persevere. Persevere to the end. Never, never, never give up. Even when the times are dark, even when the church is not going the way you want it to go, keep on keeping on. As a preacher, as a pastor, 
as a wrestler with God, cast God's bread upon the waters and you will find fruit after many days. And commandment number 10, live every day with an eternal perspective that fuels evangelistic urgency for the lost and pastoral love for the maturation of the saints. Keep eternity in view in all that you do so that on the great day you may give a good account of your ministry and may hear your master say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Remember always, as Paul says here, I charge thee before God and before Jesus, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. On the day of judgment, your congregation will give an account of you, and you will give an account of them. And pray God that your congregation will say of you, he was a faithful minister of God to us, or a faithful teacher of God to us. Whatever the case may be, whatever ministry God has called you to in the end, be faithful to cast his bread upon the waters. Thou shalt find it after many days. Well, if you are not in absentia, I ask you to arise when I call your name, and I will speak a few words to you and give you, of course, my tradition a Bunyan-esque name in the process. And after I speak a few words to you and move to the next person, um, you may then be seated again. Wagi Abdelmasse from Egypt, THM. I'm calling you Mr. Evangelist. Through your busy schedule of bringing the word to the Arabic communities in the UK, And in North Africa, the Lord has enabled you to persevere, to complete your degree with a strong finish. Congratulations to you and to your dear wife, Mary. I leave you with this text. Simply do the work of an evangelist. 2 Timothy 4, 5. Mark William Abdul, THM from Egypt, Mr. Joyful. Mark, your joyful presence in and through Christ has been a blessing to our whole seminary community and the student body in particular. And your successful completion of the THM degree and now your busy schedule of preaching around Egypt and throughout the Middle East is a testimony of God's grace filling you with zeal for service, which we pray he will bless abundantly. And it was great, Mark, to spend time in Egypt with you last year and witness your work firsthand. Every blessing to you and your dear Rosie. Daniel 9, 12, Daniel 12, verse 3. They that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Geula Bagoli, THM from Hungary. Mr. Appreciative. You've been used by God to bless our community too, Gayula, with your quiet and your deep appreciation and thankfulness for your studies at PRTS. We're blessed to have men like you serve the Reformed Presbyterian Church of Central and Eastern Europe. Every blessing to you and your dear Clara. Isaiah 30, 15, in quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. 
Kenneth Frank Benjamins, THM from Canada, Mr. Perseverance. It was great to work with you, Ken, on your THM on the theme of common grace. We're confident the Lord will use your enhanced credentials in systematic theology as you serve our Lord in Dundas, Ontario. May God give you and Marianne many years of faithful service under his word. Jeremiah 6, 16, thus says the Lord, stand ye in the old paths where is the good way and walk therein, and you will find rest for your soul. Benjamin Lee Bessett, MDiv, USA. I'm calling you, Ben, Mr. Determined. You've completed your degree, nearly record time for all the busyness you've been under, and we commend you to the one who calls his servants to keep walking in the path of obedience and calling. May God guide you and your dear Jeanette every step of the way, show you his way, and confirm for you Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Daniel William Burrus, THM from USA, Mr. Diligence. Daniel, we commend you for completing your degree while serving full-time as pastor at Grace Community Church in Minnesota. You've done well. And I listened recently to a sermon of you from 1 John 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. May that be the continued foundation of your ministry. And may these words continue to encourage you and your wife, Beth, in the ministry. James Robert Crampton, MDiv from USA. I'm just calling you Mr. Father Hart. Jamie, in your time here, it was a pleasure to see your preaching gifts blossom and also witnessing the love you have for your wife, Audrey, and your precious children as you work through your degree while serving your dear family with that love. I enjoyed so much ministering in your home church twice in the last three years, and witnessing their love for you. And I pray as you work in that church again with the senior pastor and wait on God for your future, that he will bless your efforts and fulfill for you Malachi 4, sorry, Philippians 4, 19, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Henning Johannes Duffel, THM from South Africa, Mr. Faithful. Henning, you have worked through your degree in the midst of great troubling times. The Lord has carried you forward. Congratulations to you and to your dear Kathleen. And I pray that you will continue to be encouraged in the Lord. Psalm 42, 11, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. J.C. Cole Davison, MDiv, USA, Mr. Evangelist. J.C., you have made a lot of changes in your few years with us. You came as a single Canadian. You are now a married American. It was a joy watching you grow in your preaching gifts, your zeal for the lost, which is evident in Every sermon I heard you preach. 
May God bless you and Julianne abundantly within the OPC as you seek to serve him with the gifts entrusted to you. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Proverbs 3, 6. Marjolein Jacoba de Bloy, Ph.D. from the Netherlands. I'm going to call you Dr. Servant-Hearted. Marjolein, we are grateful to you, to have you in our community, to have witnessed your commitment to serving Christ with the gifts he's entrusted to you. And we do pray for your continued uh, amazing development in your studies. Uh, we've seen you grow in so many ways, and we sustain you. We, we congratulate you on sustaining your oral defense yesterday and on receiving your Ph.D. on the important subject of God's care for the little ones, as especially found in the Gospel of Matthew. May God guide you on your journey, show you the way he would have you to go, and meanwhile, we pray that you'll continue to stay with our faculty and do research assistance for them, and that God will bless you in your future. Psalm 100, verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. And we're grateful, too, for your parents to be here tonight um, from Philadelphia. Nathan Philip Eshelman, THM from the USA, Dr. Passionate for Truth. Nathan, it's a joy to confer your second PRTS degree, your first being an MDiv 12 years ago. And meanwhile, you, went, you also earned a DMIN from Pittsburgh in between. But it's great to also have been in your church and served with you in California on more than one occasion. And I pray that God will continue to bless you now that you've accepted a call in your, to your new charge in Florida together with Lydia. Keep your hand on the plow, dear brother. Continue to rightly divide the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2, 15. Benjamin Edwards Franks, MDiv USA, Mr. Christ Preacher. Ben, we are grateful for your focus on Christ in preaching I pray that God will continue to use your pulpit ministry richly for the eternal good of many souls. It's been our privilege to have had you and Cherie and your precious girls in our community. One thing have I desired of the Lord. May this be your passion. That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Psalm 27 Four. Matthew Joel Hendricks, MDiv USA, Mr. Insightful. Matthew, you completed what you started seven years ago by God's grace, and we congratulate you and your dear Debbie on this special occasion. Your wisdom and insights into good and practical exegesis have been obvious in our practice preaching courses. I pray God will continue to bless you and the OPC as you now pursue candidacy, and that he will guide you to a flock of sheep and a flock of sheep to you and fit you one for another. Speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, holding fast the faithful words as you've been taught. Titus 1.9 and 2.1. Kan Huang, M.A. from China, better known to me as Giselle. Ms. Cheerful. You've always been a delight to have as a student 
Giselle, and also as a translator of our courses into Mandarin. Thank you so much for doing that work. And these courses, by the way, are being listened to all over China and beyond. God has granted you persevering grace. He's brought you through fire and water into a wealthy place. And he's cheered your soul also in times of trial. And we commend you to the Lord's direction in your life as your prayers continue for his guidance. Psalm 37, verse 5, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will bring it to pass. Emmanuel Kasarika Kaiharami, THM from Congo. Mr. Humble Servant, Emmanuel, you've taught us much with your Christ-like demeanor and your service to the church. You came as a church leader and compassionate pastor of several congregations while managing 22 orphan children together with your dear wife, Dorcas. You came seeking to enhance your gifts of biblical knowledge for service to your church. And I pray God that he will continue to bless you as you exercise your gifts. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Philippians 2, verse 4. Aaron Glenn Korvemacher, MDiv from Canada, Mr. Well-Rounded. Aaron, when you applied for the MDiv, you wrote in your application form, I want a practical, academic, spiritual, and formative training. Well, we trust you've received it and that the fruits have shown it. We commend you and your dear Amy to the Lord and the services you will render for him in the church to which he calls you. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto you are also called, and have professed a good profession before many witnesses. 1 Timothy 6, 12. Pablo Santiago Landazuri, THM from Ecuador, Mr. Home Missionary. Pablo, we're honored to have partnered with you in your quest for a biblical studies degree to be church planner and teacher in your homeland. The journeys come with challenges for you. But you and your dear wife, Veronice, have sustained those challenges, and we would be encouraged with you that the Lord is going before you into his service. Go, therefore, and teach all nations to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Lo, I am with thee always, even to the end of the world. Matthew 28, 20. Benny Lee, M.A. from Canada, Mr. Tenderhearted, Benny, congratulations. God has enabled you to overcome barriers that may have seemed insurmountable, and you've succeeded with your first degree with us, and we now welcome you into the PhD degree program as you continue to use God's gifts entrusted to you for a ministry the Lord will assign you in his time. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Psalm 27, 14. Fabiano Camboyam Lima, THM from Brazil, Mr. Providence Dependent. Fabiano, it's been a joy to watch you and your dear Marissa seek the Lord's way for your family, your housing, your future ministry, and what a blessing the Good Shepherd has led you along a path of growth and submission. We congratulate you and pray that God will open doors for you and use you abundantly in his church. 
My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. John 10, 27. Chimwemwe Matingal, M.A. from Malawi. Mr. King's servant. Chimwemwe, you've taught us much about the willingness of God's servants to serve the Lord as a privilege. You've worked hard through your degree while supporting your dear wife and family through custodial work on our campus. And you've done it with a cheerful spirit. We commend you to the Lord as you serve several congregations as their pastor in Malawi. Call unto me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Jeremiah 33, 3. Jonathan Nwoje, M.A. from Nigeria. Mr. Greatheart, Jonathan, the Lord has endeared you to many in our community and beyond. And your concern for the well-being of others, your passion for the lost, is an example of Christ-like ministry. And you've been sustained through the tremendous sacrifice of being separated so long from your family. And we marvel at the progress you've made. May God use you, brother, mightily for his honor, for the welfare of souls as you return to the Nigerian Reformed Church. Whosoever, therefore, shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father, which is in heaven. Matthew 10, 32. Lincoln Spies, THM, USA, Mr. Word Focused. Lincoln, your presence at the seminary was an inspiring example of one called of the Lord to minister as an ambassador of Christ. Your papers were always well done, always on time. Your demeanor and refined goals illustrated your, your determination to serve the Lord as he enables. May God bless your use of this, this degree among your people, together with your dear Melinda. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish thou the works of our hands upon us, the work of our hands, establish thou it. Psalm 90, 17. And finally, Alan Michael Stanton, Ph.D. from the USA, Dr. Submissive. Brother Alan, God has brought you through very deep ways, physically, throughout your years of study, emptying you from vessel to vessel, but all the while teaching you the grace of submission together with your dear Lindsay and your precious four children, to a degree beyond which most of us will ever encounter. He's led you through fire and water, and now tonight brings you again into a wealthy place of successful completion. May he be your breaker to go before you, and may you yet have much joy in serving the Lord, if he wills, as he enables. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried... He shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. James 1, verse 12. Every blessing to you, dear graduates, to your parents, to your family, to your children, to your spouses. Godspeed. Dr. Vendoderwert will now come and close this graduation with prayer.
Let's come before the Lord together in prayer. O Lord, our God, who are we that you are mindful of us? Lord, we, as we consider who we are, created by you, knit together in our mother's wombs by your wisdom, by your power, you are the one who has given each one of us, each one of these graduates, life, physically. Yet, Lord, we know for each one of us, in ourselves, we were dead, alienated from you. And Lord, we thank you and praise you for the marvel of your, your kindness towards us, towards them. That here, Lord, we sit as a group of people where you have so graciously given life to the dead. And Lord, you have so graciously poured out your goodness and your kindness in justifying and sanctifying. And Lord, tonight again, you've been mindful of us in and through your dear Son. We thank you for bringing us your word. Lord, we pray that you would bless each one of these graduates through all of their days, that you would guide them, that you would shepherd them, now, Lord, you have, who have begun a good work, we pray that you would be faithful to complete it, even as you have promised. And how we thank you, Lord, that we know your word is sure and steadfast. Lord, we thank you for this evening, that we can give you praise and give you glory for the ways that you have blessed. And we pray that you would uh, cause uh, each one of these brothers and sisters to walk in your ways through their days, to remember your word. Stir them up by your spirit, Lord. Teach them your ways day by day. Cause them to love you more. Cause us all, Lord, to love you more through the days that you still have for us. Oh, Lord, cause us to bear better fruit to your glory. Help us to see you more fully. Oh, Lord, that we would glorify you better. Lord, we pray that you would go with us in this evening. Watch over us and keep us. Bless those who travel. Bless those who are scattered in homes, Lord, in many parts of this world. We pray, Lord, that you would bless your church in each place, that your kingdom would come, your glory would be made known. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.